Welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. Hi, my name's Kay. Thank you for joining us today. We will be in the book of Dr. David Jeremiah. The Book of Signs. The Book of Signs. Let me help her out a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I know. It's like the last, <laughs> the last two weeks. I want to share something quickly, Kay, and then I know you may want to share something, but... You know when you're going through a really hard time and you almost don't know if you believe anymore and you don't know what to say because you just have so much on you. And I just want to tell the listeners to just say to God, I believe, Father, please forgive me for my unbelief. It's you believe, but at that moment you're having problems and he'll understand I believe, Jesus, please forgive me for my unbelief. I just find that so comforting because we are there sometimes. Did you find that in scripture? That sounds like a, um, I think somewhere someone someone says that. Yeah, I believe in the New Testament somewhere. Teresa, where have you? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, don't, where, I don't remember yeah. where I got it from But because uh, I have to pray that uh, sometimes. I really do. Yeah. It's like it gets so hard and it's like, not again. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, God, I, I believe. Forgive me for my unbelief. We are me. called to have faith. Right. And it's okay sometimes. Yeah. You know, well, it is. It, because we're going to go through yeah. those challenges and it, it's we okay. We do believe, but right now, forgive me for my unbelief because it's not looking real good out there. <laughs> It's not looking like it's going to work out okay, God, so um, help. <laughs> do you have something you want to um, share, Ms. Yeah, Kay? I do. Um, I ran across this this week um, in one of my devotions from, from our pastor, and it says that most of us pray safe prayers. Lord, help me, bless me, provide for me, care for me. But when we understand that God knows our every fear and frustration, motive and movement, we not only grasp the vastness of his heart for us, but we also begin to fully comprehend the depths of our need for him. Only then do our prayers move us from the safety of help me to the life-changing prayers of search me and change me. Boy, that is good. Because we do need to change. Search me and change me. God wants us to love, 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 love. Give your love 110% all the time. That's what he is. He's a God of love. Yeah. And that is his most important thing that he said. Oh, it is. It's love. Love, yes. And it's hard to love somebody when they're mm. mean to you. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. But he calls us to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought about when it says, when, not only when we grasp the vastness of his heart, you know, when we grasp the vastness of his love. For us, and I know there's been times I've had to ask him to help me to love someone. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. on my own, mm-hmm. you can't do it. No, and the funny thing no. is, a lot of times we think it's that person who needs to change huh. when it's really us. Right. Yeah, so that, comes that to, needs to, and that's says, yeah. Search me, search me, and change me. Because what is it with you know um, the circumstances don't seem to be. Changing God, so, <laughs> you know, and, and I will say that, you know, I've had that, I had that happen uh, with one of the girls that I work with before I retired, and I was very grateful. We'll never see what God's got down 
down the line, down the path, you know. Um, Until you get to heaven, he's going <laughs> to show you why that person yeah. is in your life, uh-huh. why you need to show love, because we never know what someone has been through. Yeah. We don't know where they're at. We don't know if they're ready to commit suicide. We don't know if they're ready to go drink. We don't know. And our words could send them over the edge. Yeah. Our our love could pull them back in right. to life. Right. Well, okay. Miss Kay, we are going to start with the Great War. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. The war described here is not merely a single battle. It's more like World War II, a conflict fought by many antagonists on many fronts. Michael battles Satan. God's angels battle Satan's angels. God led humans battle. Satan led humans. These battles are ongoing, building toward a final cataclysmic conflict that will forever destroy Satan and his diabolic influence. We can better understand the nature of this war when we realize that evil does not exist in the abstract. Though all evil originates in Satan's heart, he has no power to create anything that is inherently evil. All evil is simply damage done to good. Evil consists solely of destroying, warping, marring, co-opting, or misusing the good that God created. Satan, in his hatred for God, has made it his whole purpose to inflict all the evil he can upon God's creation. To secure his unsurped position as the Lord of the earth, Satan has organized his fallen angels into a hierarchy, placing the most powerful ones over nations and provinces. We will see the order demonstrated in Daniel 10. Daniel had been fasting and praying for three weeks without an answer, when suddenly an angel of God appeared. The angel explained that God had heard Daniel's prayer from its beginning and had immediately dispatched the angel to answer him. Okay, can you stop there? Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Read that again. Okay. The angel explained that God had heard Daniel's prayer from from the beginning and had immediately dispatched the angel to answer him. People, please, as soon as you call out to God, he dispatches the heavens down for you. And as a child Mm -hmm. of God, you Mm -hmm. have all of that power. They're just standing up there waiting to swoop down and help. So please remember that. But as this angel sped towards Daniel, he was attacked by a satanic angel, the prince of Persia, who was determined to prevent the delivery of God's message. The two angels battled to a standoff until the archangel Michael joined the combat and held the prince of Persia at bay, freeing the heavenly angel to complete his mission. That brings me back to the movie that we watched, Divination. Please watch Divination because it will show you how the angels have to fight these spirits coming at you. The 
the angels that protect you. You get a better concept. Thank you. Yes. We know that this Prince of Persia is an angelic being for two reasons. First, no mere human could withstand the might of one of God's angels. Second, Cyrus the Great was at that time the human ruler of Persia and was a benefactor to the Jews, not an enemy. Satan's capacity to wage war raises a theological question. If he has already been judged by the cross, why is he free to continue the war? It is true that Satan has been judged, as these two passages tell us, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken flesh and blood, Christ himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Yes, Satan has been judged, but the sentence has not been yet enforced. We see examples of delay between sentence and execution in our nation's courts. In most capital causes, execution is carried out years after sentencing. Satan has been defeated and judged, but God has chosen to delay execution until the time is right. The still free Satan continues to inflict heinous evil on us, but we believers need not despair. We can engage the battle and enforce Christ's victory over Satan through prayer. Daniel is our example. His three-week prayer was instrumental in defeating the satanic prince of Persia. Victories on earth and in heaven are dependent on each other, just as in World War II. The ground troops invading Normandy were dependent on air power to soften their invasion sites. As we combat evil on earth, our angelic fellow warriors battle evil in the invisible spiritual dimension. Churches and godly homes are battle stations from which prayers emanate in a vast communication network that connects both fronts. As prayer warriors, we often turn the tide of human events Someone has said it is not the mayors that make the world go round. It's the prayers. It's so important. Like Kay, that's her gift. She is a prayer warrior. And it's like when something's really bad going on around us, uh, we always turn to Kay because we know you'll have people, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, Kay literally gets on her hands and knees and prays and calls out to God from her heart. And we really appreciate that. The defeated Satan fights on in sheer vindictiveness, but he cannot conquer those of us who have joined the army of the Lord and claim Christ's victory as our own. We may endure persecution or even death inflicted by the dragon's dying throes, but we are assured of ultimate victory, and this is our source of courage. We are fully equipped and protected in every encounter with Satan or his angels. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The great wrath 
Rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. This passage is the reason for the contrast between the joyful people and the woeful ones is clear. One group now safely in heaven is protected from Satan forever. The other group is about to face the devil's final rampage of evil. Satan is aware of reality. He knows that with the resurrection of Christ, the game is up. He is forever defeated. Yet in the interim between his defeat and his final sentence, his wrath will explode, wreaking death and destruction like never before. Oh, all the people that he's blinded. That is not going to be pretty. An aggravated assault. The Greek word for wrath in the passage above means strong passion or emotion. Donald Gray Barnhouse likens the devil's wrath to that of a caged animal. The animal that was dangerous enough when he roamed through the whole forest is now limited to a Stockdale where, mad with the restrictions which he sees around him and raging because he feels the end near. He throws the insane strength of the death struggle into all of his movements. An anti-Semitic assault. Before the end, Satan will mount an all-out assault on God's people, the Jews, launching a tsunami of anti-Semitism over the world like nothing yet ever seen in human history. When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Satan hates Israel because it is the nation that birthed Christ. He is bent on destroying the Jews to prevent fulfilling of Israel's role. and and prophecy when Christ returns to establish his kingdom. Satan knows his days are numbered, but like a spiteful child who breaks a playmate's toy because he can't have it, will go out to crush Israel. He spews water from his mouth to sweep Israel off the face of the earth. This may indicate a literal flood that will inundate Israel, or it may be a symbolic picture of the devil's overall campaign to liberate the Jews. Either way, His intent is clear. Before the end, he will launch an unprecedented offense against Israel. An angry assault. John tells us that the dragon dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This passage refers specifically to Jewish believers in Christ. These believers are undoubtedly the 144,000 Jewish witnesses introduced in Revelation 7. Satan's fury will descend on these converted Jews simply because they will have joined forces with the ultimate enemy. The great wings. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle and she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon spewed out of his mouth. Jews would immediately recognize the two wings of the great eagle as symbolic of the grace of God. 
who spoke of delivering them from bondage in Egypt, saying, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This reference assures that Israel, during Satan's aggressive assault, God will again deliver them as he did from Egypt. He will move them to a secure, protected place. Some think this place will be the ancient rock-carved city fortress Petra, hidden deep within the cliffs south of the Dead Sea. Revelations 12:14 says these Jews will be nourished, indicating a reoccurrence of a supernatural provision which sustained Elijah at the Brook of Cherith and Israel during the Exodus. But by whatever means, God assures Israel that a godly remnant of their number will be saved. Carolyn Ahrens tells of an incident that vividly illustrates why the world suffers continuing damage from Satan despite the fact that he has been defeated. She recounts the story as reported by a missionary couple stationed in a steamy jungle. One day, they told us, an enormous snake, much longer than a man, slithered its way right through the front door into the kitchen of their home. Terrified, they ran outside and searched frantically for a local who might know what to do. A machete-wielding neighbor came to the rescue, calmly marching into the house and decapitating <laughs> the snake with one clean chop. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Huh? Can you imagine? No. No. <sighs> the neighbor reemerged triumph and assured the missionaries that the reptile had been defeated. But there was a catch, he warned. It was going to take a while for the snake to realize it was dead. A snake's neurology and blood flow are such that it can take considerable time for it to stop moving even after decapitated. For the next several hours, the missionaries were forced to wait outside while the snake thrashed about. What? Smashing furniture and failing against the walls and windows, wreaking havoc until it's finally its body understood that it no longer had a head. At some port in their waiting, the missionaries told us that they had a mutual epiphany. Do you see it? asked the husband. Satan is a lot like that big old snake. He's already been defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. In the meantime, he's going to do some damage. But never forget that he's a goner. He does know he's defeated. I, I heard the other day a pastor talking. Satan doesn't know when the end of time is either. No. So he looks for signs just like we do. Right. Because he needs to be prepared because he knows what's going to happen to him. Right. So, But in the meantime, just like the beheaded snake, he's wreaking as much havoc as he possibly oh, can. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. What a great story that is. Mm-hmm. Aaron reminds us that the day is coming when Satan's thrashing will cease. The story haunts me because I've come to believe it is an accurate picture of the universe. We are in a thrashing time, a season characterized by our persuasive capacity to do violence to each other and ourselves. The temptation is to despair. We have to remember, though, it won't last forever. Jesus has already crushed the serpent's head. Oh, that is true, Miss Kay. That was really good. Woo. I guess I didn't realize that a snake could live and thrash and do all of that after its head is chopped off. No, I did not either. Yikes. No. So, next time, it's the Mark of the Beast. That'll be our next discussion. Until next time. Have a blessed week. 